When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, and it happened, Horwat. We knew it was eventually going to. The Penguins were not going to go 82-0, but they did finally drop a game. Tist one to the Montreal Canadiens, 3-2 in overtime. We're going to break down that game on this episode. We're going to talk a little Penguins-Kings, which is coming up later this evening. We'll break down very quickly the Penguins taking on the Columbus Blue Jackets to kick off their first longer road trip of the season, and then we're going to give our early reactions. So a jam-packed episode, Horwat, but we're starting with the loss against the Montreal Canadiens, and I want to start with this because there are some people that didn't like the reacquiring of Casey to Smith this offseason, but I thought he played really well on Monday. I mean, he didn't get the defense that Tristan Jari was was afforded in the first couple games of the season. He had to face 39 shots from the Habs. He made 36 saves for a 9.23 save percentage. I thought he played pretty well in his first game of the season. Yeah, whenever you discuss people who didn't want Casey to Smith back, I fell into that camp, but it wasn't for his skill or for his play at by any stretch of the means. It was just a changing of something in the lineup, you know, because let's be real, the goaltending tandem especially, I feel like a lot of this lineup can get stale at times. It's you're running back the same thing year after year. It's kind of why I was so easy to doomsday prep for Evgeny Malkin leaving. It's why I was so easy to accept newcomers into this lineup. Just because sometimes when you run the same names back all of the time, things can just become a little boring, get a little stale, and just you know grow a different sort of mold. It was nothing against Casey DeSmith as a player at all. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of wanted to see something new. And the fact that he's still here is also... Not the worst part of the offseason, so so be it. He played fine. He played as well as he could do. It's weird enough that all three of the goals, though, looked like he wasn't giving the best effort. You know, that's... But that's neither here nor there. It is just kind of a point of when you're watching from afar, you see, especially in that uh, Suzuki goal, could someone have said something to say, hey, the puck is now behind you, try and make a move? Or in the overtime goal, you look at it, again, from afar, not having the goalie's perspective and, and saying, could you have stretched a little and, like, pumped the leg out? I don't know. It was all three of them were kind of something like, you could have done this, but, again, he played fine. They shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. 
And yeah, I think for what it's worth, in an overtime loss, you're okay with getting a point out of it. Uh, but you wanted the two, and Casey DeSmith was not the reason for only having one. Yeah, anytime you enter the third period of play up by two goals, whether it's two to nothing or whether it's three to one, whatever, you have a two goal lead going into the final 20 minutes of play. A team that, especially last season, was particularly good on the road defensively. You want to be able to come home with that two points and you want to come home with that regulation win. And they just weren't able to do it. I mean, giving up that goal early in the third period, you mentioned that was probably the worst goal that Casey DeSmith allowed. Of course, the first shot got past him, hit the post, and then it just went right back to Suzuki. And DeSmith just did not have the reaction time to get across. And big props to Suzuki, and big props to Suzuki on that play, too. That was impressive. Like, there was nothing... I mean... Again, Casey Smith, maybe a little communication of just, hey, it's behind you. Try and make a move. Nick Suzuki also got there extremely quickly. He did. That was a hell of a play on his part. So you can't be super mad at it either. Yeah, no, I don't I don't really particularly get too upset about any of the goals that Casey DeSmith allowed in that game. Especially the last two. I mean, the one with two minutes and 20 seconds to go for, I believe it was Cole Caulfield. Uh, that's, you can't let that pass go through. Especially, I know it's six on five, but you have to be able to protect from those cross ice passes, especially when the guy is literally from the top corner of the, of the ice and he sends it down to the lower corner. That's a pass that can't get through. And I understand also in overtime that it's a four on three, but you have to be able to keep an eye on where guys are at all times. And the easy goals like that, whenever it was a tap in, because the Smith should not have to be worrying about that pass being made. He should be able to trust that his defense is not going to allow that to happen or at least to slow it down so he can get across the crease. So I don't take anything against Casey DeSmith. I thought it was a really good start. I thought it was a great decision to start him in the first place by Mike Sullivan and crew, knowing that there are three back-to-backs coming up in the next two weeks. And you don't want him to get his first start of the season on the road, most likely, in a back-to-back scenario where most likely you're going to get him in the second half of it, and he's going to have a tired lineup in front of it. You know, that's setting him up for failure. So I liked the decision to go with Casey to Smith here in game number three. Yeah, it was a fine decision. I mean, far from what we predicted, but so be it, I guess. it's. Uh, we knew we were going to see Casey at some point. I don't know. I mean, we were just far off. I mean, any goalie talk that you took from our last episode, I hope you just kind of ignored. Because uh, all of it was either proven incorrect or just downright wrong uh, soon after. Soon after we had recorded. And that's well, just the name of the game. Yeah, and well, here's the thing. Uh, I think most of us are trained to what we saw last year, which was Casey DeSmith was not used unless he was absolutely necessary. And early in the season, was it absolutely necessary to have him in net? No, but the Penguins are trying to be better this year with getting Tristan Jari rest, which is why you saw DeSmith get that start and try to get his feet underneath him in that game against the Habs. And then the Jake Allen thing, I mean, who's supposed to understand that? Like, who's supposed to be able to predict that two 20 minutes after we recorded but not I digress on that point back to the uh, the actual game at hand from from the Canadians on Monday the Pittsburgh Penguins didn't look great to start I mean they had the early no goal by Danton Heinen where he hit it off the post absolutely rocket of a shot great play by the third line there it just didn't go in a bad bounce for the Pittsburgh Penguins and then you look at the rest of that first period clearly the worst period the Penguins had played all season long the puck was just jumping over their sticks. They were making bad turnovers in the defensive zone. They couldn't get sustained zone time. 
it didn't look good for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And for the first time all season, you could say that there's a lot for them to work on off of that game on Monday. There was. There was. There was plenty because it's we're letting old habits creep back in a little bit too, right? It is the whole not playing 60 idea again. I mean, granted, that more or less came in the third period whenever uh, we went up 2 nothing in the second thanks to Malkin. But you got to keep your foot on the gas. And Sullivan and Malkin both said it. Once you're up in those games, you have to close them out. Mm-hmm. You know, Sullivan said that they deserve that loss. And if that's the way you look at it, that is the way you look at it. Absolutely. You have to play a full 60 in this, in this league. It doesn't matter what team... Excuse me. It doesn't matter what team it is. You know, it has to be the full 60 given, despite how good or bad the team may be. And especially a team like the Canadians we looked at, those are names. Those are all names that either have been something or will be something. Mm-hmm. So you cannot give them any sort of leeway because they can still be a successful team. And gotta stay pedal to the metal, foot on the throat, finish it off. And they couldn't do that again. And they can't let old habits like that creep back into the season. Mm-hmm. That was one of their biggest downfalls last year, at least in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, you look at the names of the players that scored for the uh, the Montreal Canadiens, and it was exactly that. I mean, Nick Suzuki, he scored the first one. Cole Caulfield scored the tying goal. And Kirby Dock scored the, uh, the third one. There are a lot of young, talented, offensive players that are thriving under Martin Saint-Louis. And guess what? When they're young like that and they're not necessarily expected to be the greatest team you can play loose and you can play freely and that's what these guys have been doing since Slan Louis took over midway through last season and you could see that in the third period there there was no massive pressure for them to come back in that game but they were just putting their foot down they were playing their game the entire way through and the Pittsburgh Penguins they turtled a little bit they did They turtle in the third period. You could tell they weren't forcing the issue on the offensive side. I understand you want to lean a little bit more defensive when you have a two-goal lead in the final period, but they they do it too much where they get into that mode and they just stop producing offensive opportunities, and that's what happens. If you don't extend your lead in this league, there's a good chance that you're going to end up giving it up, and that's exactly what the Penguins did on Monday night. Yeah, that is exactly how it went. It's just the reality of the penguins sometimes mm-hmm. and the thing play. sorry go ahead no you're good i had nothing else and the thing with the pittsburgh penguins too is if you want to take a positive away from this game where a lot of players did not perform well i mean Sidney crosby jake gensel and ricard raquel had their probably worst game together as a line not to mention the fact that chris letang looked horrible so did brian doomlin so your top units looked really bad i mean i don't want to give the Penguins all of the bad credit because I do think there's some credit to go to the youngster Caden Gooley. He's somebody from the Montreal Canadian side that really impressed me. We talked about the Habs having a depleted defense core. They don't have many guys on that back end. Caden Gooley is a young player and I thought he played extremely well specifically against that Crosby line because that was his that was his main uh, main thing in that game, his assignment. And he did it really well. I mean, whether or not it was a poor performance by Crosby, I thought Caden Gooley impressed me. And that's somebody that I'm going to have to keep an eye on. But apart from that, if you're the Penguins, a positive take out of it is you had not very many good performances and you still had a chance to win after two periods. You had a two two goal lead. So maybe you take that away from the game is, hey, even when they're not playing well, 
they can get out to a lead and should be in position to win games against bad teams. Yeah, and I know I said um, you don't want to take an overtime loss to a team like this. Mm. But in reality, you're going to be happy with a poor performance that you still walk away with a point from, yeah. right? You do want to improve upon the just – I mean, I found, I found the overtime numbers from last season um, because we always discussed how not good it seemed. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were kind of right. It's it, Overtime was made to be high event, fun hockey, and the Penguins and a couple other teams just find ways to slow it down make it become a you-make-the-first-mistake type of game. And the Penguins, often enough, are the ones that make the first mistake and end up losing. If you really wanted the numbers, in just overtimes, uh, Penguins were decent last year. Actually, it was 6-4 and four just in just overtimes. Mm-hmm. It was the shootouts that were the absolute downfall where they were 3-7. and seven. Oof. So, But then you add that together, and it turns into a 10-11, and 11, which is just not good enough. Yeah. So in the extra time and in the shootout, the Penguins do need to be better. And as a matter of fact, when you have a team like, we're going to keep mentioning names, it's like the power play. You have players like Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jake Gensel, Brian Russ, Chris Letang. You're just sending out people who can make plays and score goals. How are we you know, getting to a shootout 10 times last season? How are we picking up four overtime losses? What's the, what's the mindset going into the overtime because that straight up needs to change and be better i'm not saying we need to be perfect but i'm saying we shouldn't be 10 and 11 in 21 extra time opportunities mm-hmm. should be a much better scenario than that especially if you look at some of the teams that we lost to let's start this year with montreal yeah and i think the thing is with montreal they should be and they weren't last season uh it was discussed on the on the broadcast that the montreal canadians were also not great last season when it came to uh, extra time, specifically in overtime. But they're a team that you would think would be good as well because you have these young guys that are fast, they're young, they can go out there for the entire five minutes and play that high pace. I mean, your Cole Caulfields, your Nick Suzuki's, your Kirby Docks, and that's what they did because the Pittsburgh Penguins do like to slow things down in overtime because they have guys like Crosby, they have guys like Letang, like Malkin, who they can just possess the puck and wear other teams down as they just continue to cycle in the offensive zone. But the Montreal Canadiens, they want to play that up-tempo style, and they got into that game in the overtime, and it cost Jeff Petrie. He ended up taking the penalty, which leads to the power play goal, which gives the Montreal Canadiens the win in bonus time. So it's a matter of the fact where it's one game, you did get a point out of it. It stinks that you forfeited a point to an Eastern Conference opponent, but it could be worse because it was an Atlantic Division opponent and not a Metropolitan Division opponent. But nonetheless, as uh, our friend said on Twitter that on the Fly Penguins Fly podcast, his name is Jeff also. I couldn't remember it. I'm still sick this week. Forgive me for my memory being hazy. But he said, five out of six points to start the season. I will take that. So yes, I I echo that sentiment, Jeff. I echo that sentiment a lot. We will absolutely... Uh, take that like I said you don't want to lose points every so often for that uh, sorry to, are we both getting distracted by the same tweet uh, you don't want to lose that bonus point uh, especially to a team in the east but in the grand scheme of things taking five out of six in the first three especially when we played against the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning and looked red hot through the first two games yeah you could say that we are pretty happy with 
uh, the outcomes so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did both get distracted by this. Uh, pull the, the the curtain back a little bit on this recording. We are recording on Wednesday at morning, and the Penguins did just put out the the reverse retro, not the actual jersey, the teaser. but the teaser for the reverse retro. So uh, clearly that'll probably be out by the time that we finish this recording because that's just how things work. But uh, no, nonetheless, I, I thought that the Penguins... Despite playing a pretty bad game, and they're gonna they're gonna lay an egg from time to time, I thought that they still had a chance to win. They got the point, like you both we both mentioned, and uh, there's things to work on, but there were also positives as well. I, I think Evgeny Malkin's line looked dominant once again. They obviously created both of those goals in the second period. I think P.O. Joseph looked really good in that game against the Montreal Canadiens. I don't know if he was just stepping up to the plate because it is his hometown team. But if he can play like that, then there's no issue of having him stay up at the National Hockey League level. So there were positives to take away. But I think I really did crack the code on what happened to the Pittsburgh Penguins on Monday night at Horwater. Are you ready for this? Oh, I'm, I'm ready. I'm here. I, I thought about it because of our friend Danny from DK Pittsburgh Sports. He tweeted out, apparently the Penguins' key to a successful season is playing every game at home. And I thought about that for a second. And I said, you know what? I know exactly who to blame for the Penguins' first loss of the season. I blame John Taglianetti, the equipment manager. You know why? This is his first year at the helm without Dana Heinze showing him the ropes still. Dana Heinze, for 30 years, had that road locker room feeling like a home away from home. We've seen multiple videos of what Dana Heinze does just to make the Penguins' road locker rooms feel a little bit like home. And you know what? The Penguins last season, they were in the top 10 in all road categories last year. I don't know if John Taglianetti has picked up the reins quite enough and made that road locker room feel like home. So you know what, John? I'm blaming you for this one. There's a big road trip coming up. You gotta step it up, buddy. Because if you don't, we know it's you. We know it's John Taglianetti. If the Penguins come out flat against the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday. I want to see some locker room pictures beforehand by Penguins equipment managers on Twitter. I want to see some pictures. John, you need to step it up with the accoutrements or whatever the hell it's called. I need you to step it up in those road locker rooms because if not for that, then we're going to have to bring Dana Heinze back. I know Thursday is Dana Heinze night at PPG Paints Arena. Maybe you just sign him to a contract if John can't pick up the slack here. What are they doing for him on Thursday? Uh, it is it is Dana Heinze night. I know they're just honoring him. So they did that on Saturday. Was that on Saturday again? Yeah. I'm sick. So my I was brain. Say, I was like, they did that whole thing because it, it was That's real, right. Because because every also whenever I was there, I was watching. I'm like, everyone's ready for the uh, for the anthem, mm-hmm. and then I see them all skate off. I'm like, what's going on? Oh yeah, the Dana Heinze Heinze thing. Yeah. Everyone kind of forgot about it until they were like, uh, guys, we have to do this like in quickly, and it looked a little rushed, but. Um, you know, such is life. Yeah. But yeah. They did that on Saturday. There's another just showing of where my brain's at. So with that, I'm going to, I'm going to send us to a quick break so I Let's can take a moment yeah. so I can click the reset button on the back of my head. And when we come back, we're going to preview the Penguins and the LA Kings on not Dana Heinze night coming up tonight on Thursday night.
Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Horwat, I took a sip of water, I smacked myself in the back of the head, tried to reset everything that's going on up there. We should be good to go for segment number two. I don't know where my brain was at at the end of that first segment. But we're talking about the Penguins taking on your second favorite team, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, the LA Kings. You like to watch the Kings play some hockey. So it's the Horwat Bowl on Thursday night at PPG Paints Arena. And the Kings are always just, I don't know what it was. I think growing up at a time where, not growing up, hitting adolescence at a time where the Penguins were very good and then the Kings were also very good. You just wanted to root for winning teams because you were sick of the Pirates, so you started rooting for the Yankees. Uh, you... The Steelers were decent enough, but I also wasn't a football fan at the time. So, yeah, I just kind of clung on to the Kings and then realized they have a lot of fun pieces, especially at the time. I mean, young Andre Kopitar, pre-captain Andre Kopitar. Um, Dustin Brown was the captain and kind of a fun player. Drew Doughty was in his prime and before things kind of fell off. Now, they have a lot of young pieces to look forward to the future. You, Am I right? Yeah, but you know you didn't mention from that time is Jeff Carter. Big Jeff Carter. Yeah, so exactly. I was waiting for the Jeff Carter mention, and you never got it. So I guess, you know, breaking news, Horwat hates Jeff Carter. But um, nonetheless, in, in this game, the LA Kings were a playoff team last year. They took the Edmonton Oilers to the brink in the first round of the postseason. So they're not they're not a team that is really on the back burner anymore. They're a team that is here to compete in the NHL-specific division. So far this season, they are... Three and two in five games, third in the Pacific Division, and they only have one injury, but it is a guy that seemingly always performs well against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And Alex Iafalo, he's on the IR with a lower body injury. On the Penguins side of things, we still don't know whether or not Teddy Bluger will be good to go. Of course, we're waiting on news about that. He's day to day with an upper body injury, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, we, we don't have any updates on Teddy Bluger as of this specific moment where we're recording. Last season, the Kings swept the Pittsburgh Penguins in both games and winning 6-2 to two in LA and 4-3 to three in Pittsburgh. Trevor Moore had two goals in that game against the Pittsburgh Penguins at PPG Paints Arena, including the game-winning goal with about seven minutes left in that contest. So Horwat, heading into this game against the Kings, the Penguins are looking to get right after their first loss of the season. What do you see happening as far as this matchup? You know, the Kings, while they are getting better as a team, they're not a boring team anymore. No. We can remember for a long time the Kings were that trap-style, defensive style of slow everything down hockey. Daryl Sutter hockey, yep. Whereas now... Everything's kind of changed. They're getting younger. They realize they have great goal scorers and great playmakers with them while still having a pretty decent back end. You mentioned Alex Iafalo being out. That hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I'm expecting the game to at least be fun because I remember I was at that Kings game last year, and the Penguins may have lost, but it was a fun game. It was back and forth and pretty tight knit the entire time. I expect a little bit of the same. The Kings goaltending situation, it's not too much of a situation. It is, can Jonathan Quick close his career out right, and is Cal Peterson the dude? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just, it's uh, question marks, but also mm, exclamation points at times. So I just expect it to be another fun game between the two. I can't really pin uh, pin any more predictions onto it because I haven't seen the Kings yet this year and what they've done, but... I know they're a team that keeps improving, keeps getting better and more fun than an actual fun style of hockey being played by them. So I expect it to be 
a pretty high event game, mm-hmm. without doubt. Yeah, well, you're going to have to give a prediction here in a couple minutes, so I'll let you try to think about your uh, your Penn's prediction for this one as we lost on Monday, of course, both of us saying the Penguins would defeat the uh, Montreal Canadiens. That didn't happen, but you mentioned Jonathan Quick. I would expect him to go in this one. On Tuesday, it was Cal Peterson on the second half of a back-to-back, so you would expect that Jonathan Quick is between the pipes, but again, I am not the head coach of the LA Kings, so that decision is not being made by me, but Quick... 1-2 and two this season with an 8.95 save percentage and a 3.73 goals allowed average. So not a great start for the veteran netminder in L.A. But when you look at their lineup, and I'll bring it up here courtesy of Daily Faceoff, you mentioned that there's a lot of names on there. They're getting more fun. I think the biggest acquisition this summer was Kevin Fiala. You can see him on that top line with Kopitar and Kempe. And for those watching on Inside the Penguins on YouTube, you can see it up on the screen now. But, I mean, Trevor Moore played really well against the Penguins last year. He's on the second line with Deneau and Victor Arvidsson. Then you got Carl Grunstrom, Quentin Byfield, and Gabe Velarde. A trio of really good young players. And then you just got... Blake Lazat, Brendan Lemieux, and Arthur Kaliev, just a bunch of thorns in your side for the fourth line. So not a bad lineup to say the least. And I believe they're missing one of their good young players, or at least they haven't called him up yet. And I can't think of his name. Yeah, I can't think of it either right now. I mean, Brendan Lemieux is, he's a guy that if the Penguins needed to fill roster spots and the Kings actually fully let him go, that we should have taken a flyer on because yeah, he's not going to score you goals, but he's that going to be that pesty that he's going to be that pest. He's going to be the Josh Archibald type that we got, but at a different, better, more fun level and a younger level at that too. But you know, I think he was a RFA, so he really couldn't go anywhere unless the Kings decided to let him walk. And I mean, for what it's worth, Brandon Lemieux is going to play a great game in LA. He's a ton of fun for the lineup. Yeah, he's on the fourth line, but much like uh, Teddy Bluger with us, he's a fourth liner that you talk about all the time for one reason or another. Lemieux's reason here is just he's going to be a thorn in your side. Like you said, he's going to get under your skin and try and throw you off your game and open up the mentality for his top line players. That's a key to their lineup, I think, all the time. I mm-hmm. can always watch Brendan Lemieux play. As long as he's not biting people, I can watch Brendan Lemieux play all the time. Now, here's going to be the biggest issue for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and this is not a piece of inside analysis or anything that anybody's going to be surprised about, but Sidney Crosby coming off of a poor performance, you expect him to bounce back against the Kings, but he's probably going to match up with either Andre Kopitar or Phil Deneau. I know Andre Kopitar is getting a little bit older, a little bit long in the tooth. He is still a dominant two-way forward. So you have those guys going up against Crosby, and it's not going to be an easy get-right game for Sidney Crosby in the Penguins' first line. So that's going to be a matchup that you certainly need to watch. Who do the Kings try to match up with Crosby? Is it Deneau, Moore, and Victor Arvidsson? Or is it Kopitar, Fiala, and Kempe? That's going to be definitely something interesting to watch. And the good thing for, for the Kings is, whoever they don't match up with Crosby can go up against the Malkin line, and they're probably going to have a really good matchup there as well. So for one of the first times this season, you're going to see a team that has the forward depth to actually match up with the Penguins on a defensive style for their forwards. I know the Tampa Bay Lightning are a very deep team forward-wise, and I know Anthony Sorelli is great, but he's not to the level, in my opinion, that a Kopitar and a Deneau can be as a 1-2 shutdown pairing as a top-two center. So it's going to be an interesting matchup there. Then when you look at the defense as I scroll up here, 
it's a it's a mishmash of names. They have some young guys like Mikey Anderson, Sean Dursey, and Sean Walker, but you know, Drew Doughty, ever the staple on that Kings blue line. For better or worse, I guess. I mean, you can remember a couple seasons where uh, there was a lot of talk of Drew Doughty being one of the most overpaid players in the league because mm-hmm. of his giant contract and just his deep decline in play. While it's still kind of there, um, much like Jonathan Quick last year, I think I think Drew Doughty kind of had himself a little bit of a resurgence and more of a return to form than a than more of a uh, regression. I don't know how he looks this year again. It's going to take some time to really mold into this year, especially for him. I don't know how old he is exactly, but he's got to be getting up there, especially because he signed to that deal, if I'm not mistaken, around the same time Latang did, I think. Um, so many questions, but still. Uh, Drew Doughty is, was at one point one of the best defensemen in the league and has an ability to hit that again. He's 32, by the way, so mm-hmm. younger than I thought. Yeah, not, not quite in the Crosby, Malkin, Latang range of 35-36, but he's, he's definitely up there in age. He's get around the Brian Dumlin age if you want to look at the, uh, the, the Ochos going back and forth. But no, when you look at this team, the LA Kings, they're a team that used to be very defensively conscious. They're still a team that has that in their, in their toolkit, but like you mentioned, they play a little bit more of a loose style now. They play a little bit more of an offensive game, and they're going to try to run up the score on the Pittsburgh Penguins, so we'll have to see how that goes for them. Horwat, it is that time though. I gave you a little bit of time. I need a Pens prediction. We are two and one on the season. We've been aligned in all of our Pens predictions to this point of the year. What do you have for Penguins against the Tampa Bay Lightning? Tampa Bay Lightning? Ah, Sorry, really against the LA Kings. Jeez, my brain. <laughs> uh, there's a reason this is going to be a shorter episode, everybody, and it is because I clearly can't think straight. Perfectly okay. I think the Penguins do come out and win just because they have to bounce back from a, uh, a halfway disappointing loss in Montreal and regain some ground in themselves for themselves and in, in their uh, mentals. So I'm going to say it's a Penguins win if I had to throw a score at you. Uh, f- four to three because, again, the Kings are going to play a close game to us. Um, they are skilled looking at uh, some of the – Statistics throughout the team. Drew Doughty, by the way, a goal and an assist through his first five already. He's one of the sneakier playmakers on the blue line across the league. At least he has been over his career. So um, <clears throat> he should be able to put up points. And yeah, Gabe Velarde you know, in five games has seven points. Jesus. This team's, this team's a little sneaky. So um, I think they keep it close, but the Penguins are going to have to build off of and learn off of what they did in Montreal. Mm -hmm. So clearly my prediction of five and O to start the season, not going to happen. That's over. It died on Monday night. I was sad about it. Now I I, I did think for a second that my prediction was going to come true. Penguins three to two. I was getting excited again, this close to correctly predicting the score, Uh, but it didn't happen. So I'm not tied to 5-0 and anymore, which means I don't have that little nagging voice in the back of my head that says, be consistent with your predictions. Um, so now that that's dead, I'm going to say the Penguins drop this one. And I'm going to say they drop this one in regulation. I think it'll be 4-3 to late into the game. Penguins try to force the issue with an empty net, and I think it ends up being a 5-3 to win for the LA Kings. I don't know why. I just have the sneaking suspicion that the LA Kings have the Penguins number for some reason. If you date back to the last time they played them before 
the 0-2 season last year. It was that loss on that horrible California road trip right before COVID. So the last three games have not gone well for the Pittsburgh Penguins against the LA Kings. For some reason, it feels like they have the Pens number, and I think that continues on Thursday. I don't want to see it. I'd rather talk about a win, but I think it's a 5-3 to three win for the LA Kings on Thursday night. And I could see that too. Like I said, for some reason, the Penguins, much like the Steelers, can at times have the tendency to play down to an inferior opponent. And again, not that the Kings are inferior, but uh, they're still not as good as the Penguins, I would think, yet. Uh, expect the next couple seasons to be you know, gangbusters for the Kings, but if the Penguins play down to them again, I wouldn't be surprised. Again, the, the Kings came in to Pittsburgh last season and had a completely entertaining game. Uh, but the Kings won and walked out as victors. So I wouldn't be shocked to see either outcome. I'm just hoping the Penguins can build off of what they learned in Montreal. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the big sentiment that I'm shooting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I do remember that game last year. It was great because the Penguins were down 3-1. to one. They tied it up with two third-period goals, and then Trevor Moore deflated that entire building. But uh, let's move over to talk really quickly about this weekend's matchup. Penguins taking on the Columbus Blue Jackets, the first of a five-game road trip that will take the Penguins way out west to Western Canada and, of course, to Seattle, Washington. But they kick it all off in Columbus with the first game against a Metropolitan Division team this season. As of this moment, Columbus is 1-3 and three on the year, good for last in the Metropolitan Division. Of course, their big offseason acquisition, Johnny Gaudreau. And listen... His goal last night in their victory, and by last night I mean Tuesday night, was very good, very entertaining, and he's a great player, and it's going to be difficult to slow him down. Same with Patrick Laine, same with, you know, Zach Wierenski, but uh, when you look at last year, the Penguins swept the Blue Jackets 4 to nothing, and there's a reason for that. It's because in this division, when your little brother and the Columbus Blue Jackets have played that role for a long time, You can get your punches in, but right now, Little Brother is just going to be put on the back burner. And that's the Blue Jackets season this year. That's my entire synopsis of what they're going to be doing this year. They might get their punches in. They might steal a win. It's hard to go 4-0 back-to-back seasons against a division rival. But at Columbus, it just something feels like the Penguins, after losing two in a row, based on my previous prediction, I think they win this one by a score of 3-1. to Yeah, I think it's going to be an easy... Penguins victory just because uh, it is the little brother thing. As much as I want the and, and keep predicting the Blue Jackets to be decent this year, um, it might just might not come to fruition quite yet. If uh, yeah, just not quite yet. Uh, they still have to learn how to play together. Maybe they have a late, maybe they have a late season, you know, uh, run kind of like Montreal did last year. Not enough to put them in the playoffs, but maybe a little late season push happens. I'm still going to ride on the uh, Blue Jackets having a decent season, but yeah, no, I got to give the Penguins another victory there as well, just because of uh, so much not going right so far. All right, Horwat, so I got to ask, because this is now our fifth prediction that we've given out. And I haven't had them losing yet. This team looks damn good. What do you want me to say about it? You have not predicted a loss. I I know that I can't say very much because I'm predicting right now four wins and one loss. Um, So, like, I'm not much better on that scale. But, uh, you know, are you going to predict a loss at some point this season or is that what you're going to go with? (sighs) The old Bob Pompiani. Never predict the Steelers to lose. Yeah. Um, It's 
hard to say. Once they start really proving me wrong in certain ways and actually looking like inferior teams, it will be hard. I'm trying to think of teams that I genuinely think are better. The Carolina game and the New York games, those are going to be close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are down the line still. Will I eventually predict losses? I'm sure. Yeah. I really am sure. I'm sure this team will let me down eventually. Um, and once I'm down bad on them, you'll see <laughs> some uh, predictions of losses. But also, hearing these, like watching these guys so far this year, it's they are playing with a lot of confidence. And it's I'm not even going to say they're playing like it is the last dance, sort of. But they're playing like they know this might be it for them, whether or not they have years left afterwards or not. They know that this could be the season. And this team has... This is probably the strongest team they've put out in a while. Mm-hmm. The defense is looking to really have rebuilt itself. Again, we had we had nine options coming into the season. <laughs> in this forward group, uh, while it is a lot of the same, has potential to grow into something if they need. If I have a lot of hopes for the for the uh, berry call ups this year, mm-hmm. so I think there's a lot of high hopes all around this lineup and Jari into a contract year. That's why I keep uh, banking on the Penguins to do very well this year. Mm-hmm. Something about the Pittsburgh Penguins this year. I know you don't like Marvel, but something about the Pittsburgh Penguins just seems like the Black Panther. I never yielded, and as you can see, I am not dead. And that is that is right now. That's the Pittsburgh Penguins and their veteran core. So we'll see if they can continue to do that and improve upon that on Thursday night, which is technically tonight when you're hearing this against the LA Kings. They will then take on the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday. And then, of course, we're going to all have to get our coffee ready to stay up late for those games in Western Canada and that game in Seattle. But we're going to take one last quick break, see if I can get through a last uh, segment without actually messing something up, and we will discuss our early reactions to the Pittsburgh Penguins this season. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Of course, we have reviewed Montreal-Pittsburgh. We have previewed LA-Pittsburgh. We did a short preview for Columbus-Pittsburgh. So all that's left to do now is kind of sit back and give our opinions on the Pittsburgh Penguins through three games here in the 2022-23 season. The first thing I want to mention, and I think I'm going to write a story about it, uh, for InsideThePenguins.com, so keep your eye out for that, is P.O. Joseph. Because whenever I was watching him on Thursday in the opener, I was a little worried because he looked tentative. But then you can expect some nerves there. It's his first ever home opener. First time he's ever made the team directly out of camp. And he knows that there are not one, but multiple people behind him that if he falters, will end up taking his job. So I know the spot that he's in. But I think he's gotten better Every single game as the season has gone on. I know it's only three games. It's a small sample size. But P.O. Joseph, especially Monday night, returning to Montreal for the first time in his career, he really impressed me in that game. In a game where not many Pittsburgh Penguins were finding success, I thought P.O. Joseph put together a really good game against the Habs. I thought he was playing physical. I thought he was great on the puck. I thought he had a really good performance in that one. So I'm pleasantly surprised by P.O. Joseph to start this season. As he should be. His numbers have looked great. And, yeah, he could be a little tentative to start the season. Uh, to start the season, If you really want to, I mean, 
think about it. Yeah, he, all those factors you mentioned are true, but uh, another big one is look at the games he played last year, right? I mean, he played four games last season, two of them at home, two of them away. Two of them were shootout losses. Mm-hmm. He's playing on a much better team this year because it is fully formed. Obviously, he's not stepping up because of an injury. And also, it's these. this may have been close to the that opening game the biggest crowd he's played in played again played in front of because you know all through his rookie season his 20 game campaign with chris the crystal tank saga there was no one in the crowd mm-hmm. now the following year was back to full capacity but it was still a different vibe i mean yeah his first game back up was a home game against the flyers but he wasn't he was called up you know it wasn't he's breaking in he has made the team he's called up for a handful of games he's getting set back down and we all kind of know it Mm -hmm. it was a different a different situation where yeah you're on the team this year this is your crowd now yeah it's a little bit of a different mindset so i could see where the nerves may have come in because that may have been the rowdiest crowd he's ever played in front of Mm -hmm. because it's definitely the biggest yeah and don't forget the fact that we saw the reports that the Penguins had shopped him over the summer. That's going to get back to him. You understand? He understands that there is more pressure on him this season. I mean, he just signed a new contract. He signed a one-way deal. Like, he understands that there's added pressure this year. So I, I think we saw that in that opening game. But I think he's responded really well. Uh, some numbers according to, to Natural Stat Trick. And I know, like I said, it's early. These numbers are a little inflated because there's not much sample size. But pretty good results in the first three games. He's leading the Penguins' defense in Corsi, which is puck possession, Corsi events, where it's, you know, shot attempts versus shot blocks and shot attempts against. 55.70 Corsi 4 percentage, which is good for the top marks on the team. He has a 61.22 scoring chances 4 percentage when on the ice, which is good for third among defensemen on the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then you look at his high-danger scoring chances. He's produced 14 or at least the Penguins have when he's on the ice, have produced 14, which is good for second, tied for second, I should say, on the Penguins' defense. And the big one, to me, he hasn't allowed a goal at 5-on-5 five five when he's on the ice. Which, again, three games, two of them are against teams that should be lottery teams, I understand that. But, for the, him to not allow a single goal through three games, you can't really, like, all these other numbers are great and all, you can't ask for more than the zero in the goals allowed column at 5-on-5. Five five. As a defenseman. Yeah. He's doing his job. And you're. it's been impressive seeing him get better through the games as well. He's going to continue to improve if he stays this course and remains in the lineup and gets these right plays. Two points as well. I mean, they're secondary assists, but they're something. It's all projecting and trajecting in the right direction. Um, I'm with you on this. I've been impressed with this season, and Especially given, like, yeah, we say he made the team. Yeah, he made the team. A cap casualty may have happened for it, but regardless, you take every opportunity you can get, especially in his situation. He's take he's making the most of this opportunity and running with it. Mm-hmm. So if he becomes this really great defenseman, we all of a sudden have more questions to ask with Ty Smith. Yeah. But at, this, at the end of the day, like I said, whenever the decision was made, oh, before the decision was made to send Ty Smith to the minors – you have to do what's best for the team and put the better player in, in most cases. Um, so far, he's been make, 
P.O. Joseph, who may not have been the better player through camp and through the, through the preseason, is looking damn good in regular season where it really counts. Mm-hmm. So we cannot be angry with the decision made here yet. No, and there is some solace, especially for P.O. Joseph, in the fact that, yeah, he might have been outperformed by Ty Smith, and a lot of people, you included, have said that in training camp. He was outperformed by Ty Smith. But in, in the organization's eyes, he was not outperformed enough for the Penguins to just give up on P.O. Joseph and try to send him through waivers and probably lose him. I mean, that tells you that the Penguins still value P.O. Joseph as an asset and, and think that he can still play because they're not going to do it if they think it's to the detriment of the team to put him in the lineup. So, I mean, there's a little bit of solace there for Joseph, but I think he's taking the reins. I think he's taking the opportunity and so far so good. Uh, we'll see how it continues. Obviously, a big road trip coming up. It'll be interesting to see what he's able to do on an extended road trip against some bigger Western Conference opponents. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I think so far, so good for P.O. Joseph. Something else I wanted to mention, the second line is cooking, man. Like, I, I mentioned I might write something on P.O. Joseph. I already did write something on the Penguins' second line, which is Malkin, Rust, and Zucker. They were the best line on Monday night. They were the only line on Monday night to look any good, and that's even taking away the fact that Malkin scored the two goals. In the first period, they were the only line to do anything at all. So I think this second line has been cooking all season long, and we've heard from Jason Zucker how he loves that it's him and Rust in on the forecheck, how they build off of each other, how they create opportunities, how they love playing on a line with Evgeny Malkin. You talk about Malkin who's saying, yeah, having those consistent line mates is something I haven't had in a while, and I'm hoping to get with these guys this season. It's something that is working really well early on, and you just knock on wood that it can continue through the season because if the Penguins can run out that 1-2 unit, and we saw it on Monday, even when Crosby's unit, they don't get shut down very often, but even when they do, you have that second line that is just as good, and that would be a first line on many other NHL franchises. It would be, and this that second line does look dominant. It looks scary. It's part of the reason why I keep pushing for the Penguins to win games because... Yeah, obviously you have the Sidney Crosby attack on top, but you follow it up with an Evgeny Malkin who's resurging himself and supporting and his supporting cast of Brian Rust and Jason Zucker. It's a hell of a line. It is a ton of fun watching them really mold together and succeed. I got too, no much, not too much more. They just look very good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's not much left to say. I mean, they've looked really good to start the season. They've controlled a lot of the offensive production. They've played well in the defensive zone. I think Gino's, you know, puck support in the defensive zone has been improved to start the year, and that might be a thing where he trusts his legs a little bit more to get him back in the play because he's coming in healthy for the first time in two seasons. So it's all systems go for that second line. I think later on tonight against the LA Kings, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I already mentioned it in our preview. It's probably going to be Evgeny Malkin's line versus Phil Deneau's line. And Deneau is a great shutdown line with offensive potential. Let's see what Malkin's able to do and his line's able to do against that type of, of battle on the other side of things. So I'm going to be watching out for that very, very intently tonight against the Kings. Uh, the last thing that I would have mentioned, then I'll let you say whatever else you have left. Uh, Tristan Jari, you mentioned him very briefly on Monday's episode that we haven't really talked a lot about what Jari was able to do in the first weekend. I think part of that is because we saw how good the defense was playing. I mean, team defense was doing a really good job of keeping shots to the outside. The Penguins were out shooting their opponents by like t- twice as much. Uh, so clearly the team was playing well in front of him. 
But Tristan Jari, a 938 save percentage, a 201 goals allowed average, and 2.3 goals saved above expected. You can't really ask for much better from him. Um, yeah, maybe a shutout here or there. But three of the four goals allowed were on the penalty kill. Some of those you couldn't really do much about. I mean, even the Braden Point goal, which was the 5-on-5 one, ridiculous shot by Braden Point, and it's Braden freaking Point. And if you look at the goal scorers this year against Jari, it's Braden Point, it's Steven Stamkos, and it's Nick Ritchie times two. So clearly one of these things is not like the other, but Tristan Jari has done, in my opinion, a very steady job of getting his feet wet in the 2022 season. Yeah, yeah, he's looked damn good. He's looked strong. He's been a little feisty, mm-hmm. uh, but he also, he's also just yeah. taken a couple of runs early in the season. Um, he's not putting up with it. So, you know, I, I did mention it. he's got a lot to play for. Obviously, he's got that contract here. Um, and he seems, and everyone, you, mean, you included, are predicting a hell of a season from him. I mean, I'm predicting a great season from him as well. So um, we should all be really high on Tristan Jari, and he's his numbers look good. Yeah, it's two games, but... He's making the right saves. He's making big saves, and he's surviving a couple of runs already. Mm-hmm. So the fact he's able to remain in the goal, has looked. he's looked very good so far. He's looked confident. He's looked strong. He should be a phenomenal goalie this year. Yeah, you didn't really see him getting run as much until last season, and you saw him start to react to that last year. Obviously, the Brad Marchand thing that went down, and really a bunch of other opportunities where Tristan Jari would stand up for himself, which is good to see. But you're starting to see that carry over to this season. I think if you're the Penguins, there's a reason you brought in Jan Ruda, who's a mountain of a man. There's a reason you brought in Jeff Petrie, who's a mountain of a man. You got to keep guys off your goaltender. Like, I'm not saying it's their fault that he's getting run. Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes the other team is just driving very hard to the net. But you got to keep them off them. So hopefully you don't see that too much going forward. Yeah, I mean, apparently one of the runs was also an interference penalty by Marcus Patterson. So That was a bad call. Yeah, no, it is what it is. As long as he's staying healthy in the net and, you know, sticking up for himself when he needs to as well, he's Mm -hmm. he's looked good. Yeah. He's very confident. Yeah. And you want want another reason to to protect your goalie a little bit better? Why was Tristan Jari not in the net during the playoffs? Because he got ran into against the New York Islanders with 10 games left to go in the season. You got to protect your goaltender, especially whenever you've had just as many issues with goaltending in the past couple of years in the playoffs as you've had with anything else. So uh, definitely got to protect Tristan Jari. Horwat, do you have any other early reactions to the Penguins season? We've talked POJ. We've talked the second line. We've talked Tristan Jari. Anything else you want to mention before we say goodbye? I got no much, not too much more. The whole core has looked good, and I think they needed to. Um, but that's those are three guys we'll be talking about all year, so we don't have to go into too much detail. Mm-hmm. Um not too much more other than that at this point we are just kind of waiting for games to happen once a few more get under the belt i'm sure a lot of the trade speculation talk will begin a lot of the um this that the other line chain line combination changes Mm -hmm. we'll all start to see happen hopefully no injury reports need to be made but um it is the penguins Mm -hmm. so as of right now we've all looked good we've all looked confident we've all played well Minus Montreal, but again, you're going to have those games. Get them out of the way early, learn from them. This should be a fun year. Yeah, it should be. And like you mentioned, it is very early in the season. It is still very silly time of the season. I mean, look at the Philadelphia Flyers. They're undefeated heading into Wednesday night hockey later on tonight. I mean, that's not going to that's not going to consist. It's not. Like, it just isn't. So, you know, a lot of weird things happening in the NHL, but that's how it goes in early to mid-October. 
we'll settle things down in in mid-September and start to see things as they really are in the NHL. Yeah, and hopefully by the time, whenever we come to you on Monday, I'm sure we'll have new sweaters to talk about because mm-hmm. while we've been talking, I've been kind of scrolling the reverse retro hashtag and, uh, man, some of these colors we're seeing. We're going to have some stuff to talk about on Monday. Yeah, we're going to have to break down specifically the Pittsburgh Penguins. We have a pretty good idea based on what we've heard of what it's going to look like. But uh, by the time we come to you on Monday, should at least have the Penguins reverse retro announced. But that's going to do it for this one. We will see you guys next week. Have a great weekend, Pens fans.